Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Angular Air. I am your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, we are going to be learning about NGrid, uh, another data grid for Angular. Pretty excited about that, checking that out. Let's say hi to our panelists, and then we'll meet our guest, and then we'll learn all about it. Joining us today, we've got Alyssa with us. Alyssa, what's going on? Hey, so glad to be here. Hi, everyone. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. Mike's with us. Mike, what's going on? I'm slow on the mute button today. Uh, <laughs> so I've a little bit slow. I'm doing pretty good. All right. All right. And our guest today is Shalomi. Shalomi, how's it going? Hi, great. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited. We're very excited to have you. Can't wait to learn more about this uh, and grid and, and, and meet you and say hi. Why, why don't you uh, tell our viewers a little bit about yourself so they can get everybody can get familiar with you? Okay, thanks. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, so my name is Shlomi uh, from Israel. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I'm doing front-end uh, for a lot of years now, stop counting. Uh, what I can say, and most important, is that I just love what I do. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, I want to thank the Angular team for the great product. And I'm with Angular from, from the first alphas, I think Alpha 27. So enjoying what I do. I work at a company called Shergen. It's a fintech company doing some finance stuff, uh, doing the front end. Uh, and that's about it. Nice. Nice. Now, is that alpha for Angular, what we consider Angular 2? Or did you do Angular JS as well? I did JS. I did JS. Uh, but then when I started with the started Angular 2, I was more involved from the beginning. I do have some commits. I, I think I invented the ng component outlet after they, they did the ng template outlet. So I said to Mishko back then, hey, why not doing it from components? So we did the ng component outlet. Uh, so it got accepted. In a, Back then, I was very excited about it. So yes, started from the early alphas. Awesome. OK, well, then let's pause for a minute and say thank you for adding that. Uh, I like that <laughs> uh, very much. So much appreciated. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks. All right, so you've got uh, NGrid. Yes. What, what's, uh, this, what's this NGrid? Uh, NGrid is a data grid for Angular. Uh, based on the CDK, the foundation of, of the grid is based on the CDK. Uh, it has a lot of features. It also uh, incorporates CDK features like drag and drop and um, uh, copy paste and uh, other stuff uh, that are in the CDK. Uh, it is totally UI agnostic, so it comes with a material plugin, so you can use material design within the grid itself, but basically you can add any uh, any grid, uh, any styling that you want, if you bootstrap or any other thing. Uh, and uh, it comes with a, a SAS uh, theming uh, engine that you can use, very similar to Material's uh, theming engine. Uh, so you can customize it uh, uh, as best on your needs. Very cool. So it's the data table from the CDK, and the CDK is a component dev kit, right? Yes. And that's from yeah. Angular. And so that's all yeah. like the, the core inner workings of logic that we can make use of and, and build upon to do that that common logic and then apply our own top layer on top of that. Is yeah, that it, yeah, exactly. For example, the CDK is just the basic for displaying the grid. But uh, uh, it doesn't come, for example, with the virtual scope. So then I took the virtual scope, which also comes with the CDK. It's a different component from the CDK. And then I incorporated it inside 
the uh, tape, the grid itself. So you take all the bits uh, that the CDK foundation provides and put them together. You can add more stuff and more stuff. And it's plugin based. So uh, uh, if you, for example, that, that don't use the drag and drop, then you won't have it inside your build because uh, you have to edit either through some kind of service or either through a directive. So using the directive, which are unique to Angular, you can plug a, plug a, create a plugin system that uh, adds in, into the table. Uh, and if you don't edit, then it, it goes off uh, in the compilation or just goes off completely because you didn't edit. That, that sounds really cool. I like that, that notion. So then is it the concept that we could build our own plugins as well, and then we utilize that. So if we want to add enhancements to NGrid out of the box, we would use the plugin system to do that? Yeah, exactly. In the documentation, there's a documentation site. So in the documentation, there is a special chapter about uh, the extensibility model and how to extend NGrid with uh, a complete example uh, of the copy-paste uh, plugin that I've done and how uh, it is implemented. Um, on top of that, of course, you have all the source code in GitHub, so you can see how it's done. Just as an example for uh, existing plugins, uh, so we have um, <clears throat> uh, plugins like a, a event system, like a click events, keyboard event. This is a, comes as a plugin. A detail, a detail row. Like if you have a child, a, a master detail a, a relationship, and you want to have a detail row when you click on the row and it expands, it's a plugin. A clipboard is a plugin. State resistance. If you change uh, uh, height, some columns. If you change the width. If you, uh, I don't know, any kind of thing that you do and change properties on the table, you can, you can, ha you can have a plugin that is uh, called state resistance. You just plug it in. You have to give an ID to the table so you can, and it saves into the local storage. Or if you want to change it, you can use an adapter to change it. Uh, an overlay panel, like uh, the overlay panel that you have in material, uh, sorry, in the component development gate in the CDK, you have an overlay panel. As so we hear in the, um, uh, in, the in the grid, it's, it's on, based on the same concept, but it's, uh, the, the directions and the markings are based on uh, on the grid uh, inside the grid itself. For example, open uh, an overlay panel in uh, row seven, uh, column uh, name, uh, 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 or in the in the header, open a, 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 an overlay panel. So the direction system is based on 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 metrics from the um, uh, uh, grid itself. You have we have a sticky row plugin, a block a block UI plugin that blocks the grid. Uh, and, a, and a transpose plugin, which just does transpose for that, changes the direction of the, um, uh, of the columns and rows, then change between them. So we have a lot of plugins, you can add more, and we have one major plugin that is a UI plugin called Angular Material, which adds a cell tooltip, a selection column, a sorting header, a pagination, and context menu, which, which is a material based. There's so much to unpack there. There's like so many goodies that I want to talk about and, and find out about. And, and then, the plugin system itself is like real fascinating to think about. Okay, I almost want to know like how did you do that? How did you build that? Like, could we utilize that same concept for other things that we build? Right. Um, I, I think about this a lot in terms of building these solutions and and like extensibility for it. Is there a pattern? And it sounds like you have this pattern established for something like that throughout the entire experience, right? Yeah, so um, basically, um, uh, the directive system in Angular is a great place to pl for plugins, because once you put a directive, you can get uh, you can get the host injected. So you have the grid instance just by having the uh, just by having the directive, 
And from there on, once if you have uh, access to an extensibility model API, uh, then you can just do basically whatever you want. But it's it, we have to keep in mind that the basic uh, to basically have this plugin system, the, um, the 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 component itself have to support it with an extensibility API. So you have to, for example, enable access to columns, access to information, access to a lot of stuff and actions that you want to do. Uh, and it's a delicate, I think, balance between having a, a private API and public API. And I think uh, th this is where uh, uh, you have to put some thinking into the into the final product. But that's the basic uh, that's the basic uh, way of uh, I did it with uh, directives. And of course, then it raises another uh, issue. What if I want to have, for example, let's say I want to have state persistence and I want to have the state persistence plugin or the drag and drop plugin. I want to have it um, uh, all over. Just I don't, I want to, I don't want to edit for uh, for every um, uh, component instance that I render. So I, you have to also enable it through a programmatic approach. So that's the game and that you play here. But it's very nice because at the end, what you end up with is a very it's very extensible uh, product that you can add things and you don't have to have a very large code base. Uh, and of course, it was an evolution. It wasn't for the for the first place. So, do you uh, in doing that API and surfacing that? Do you have different like TypeScript interfaces for the component? So, like if I use a directive and I want to get the instance of that component, I would use a certain interface from this library to kind of lock down what I would see in terms of the methods and things that I could call off that. Yes, you have an interface. You can get the component itself. So this is a class, and you can get it, and you have the interface itself as a class. You can get uh, column APIs uh, interfaces. You can have. Uh, it depends, of course. For example, if I want to, uh, if an API, some of the parts are private, the, or some of the parts I don't want to expose. Well, you will use an interface. But in most cases, due to in dependency injection and to reduce the complexity of injection, I, I will provide you the class itself. So you won't have to use a token and uh, the inject keyword and, 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 and stuff like that. Uh, but yes, basically, you have APIs, uh, and then you just use them like to do all the operation or the information you need. That is awesome. That is awesome. But, uh, so you mentioned like a drag and drop, right? So mm -hmm. is that the only other CDK other than the data table, the only other CDK part that you're using? Or are you using other CDK stuff in here as well? So I, uh, there's the copy paste that uh, I have for the copy plugin. Uh, there is a selection plugin that you can use to select cells either with the shift, shift or control and the keyboard arrows and or with with the mouse. And then you can. Uh, this is also using the drag and drop. And then you can use uh, the copy from the CDK to do copy paste. It's rather new. Um, you, I have the uh, virtual scroll, of course, that uh, comes with the CDK. So I've used that uh, also uh, and just uh, connected them all together. There were a lot of, of course, um, a lot of uh, things that I had to solve along the way because uh, those products are separate within the CDK and they still haven't been joined together in material to work uh, as one unit. So there are a lot of things that I had to work around. But I think at the end, they do prove themselves to work very nicely. And, uh, in terms of performance, once you start using the virtual call, it looks very good. Now, can you uh, 
so like if I want to use drag and drop, would I be able to define like the things that I want to allow to be able to be dragged, right? Like let's say I have rows, I want to drag the rows, but like I want to disable dragging on some of the rows, right? Uh, do I have yeah. full control through the, the system here? Yeah, so in a row, from, for rows, uh, you can control what what's the behavior. Like if if something is uh, dropped and what to do to, to save the row or, or to automatically let the table or the grid handle that for you. And for columns, for example, because you have like header groups, uh, you can say, okay, this column does not cannot leave the group or this column is not draggable. So if a column is draggable but it cannot leave the group, you can only drag it within all of the columns that under that group, if, if it makes sense. Uh, um, and, and you do have control over that. And uh, 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 on rows, you can also, again, as, as I said, you can have control over what, uh, in the event when it's dropped, if to let it drop or not let it drop and stuff like that. Mike, you have a question? Yeah, I'm having trouble with the mute button today. I tried to <laughs> mute myself and then I started to talk and I was like, wait, I didn't unmute. Sorry. So there's a whole lot that goes into creating a data table. Um, and I, because I've debated doing this as well, right? The CDK gives you a lot, but there's still a lot of things that you need to consider as you're um, implementing a grid on top of even the CDK that gives you a whole lot. So I'm curious more about the story, well, not more, but I'm curious about the story about why uh, to create this and to explore that a little bit of basically saying, I'm not doing anything today or for the next mm -hmm. 16 months. So I'm going to go ahead and create a data table that everybody can use. Yeah, exactly. It's a great question. Uh, first of all, I have to say that people that just love the what they do, they don't really have any good, sometimes they don't have a good motive behind their actions, just, okay, let's do it because it's fun. Uh, and there's a challenge and, you know, I can find any tons of other reasons uh, that uh, are not logical or business-wise logical. But uh, more specifically, uh, when I started building it, it was about two years ago, um, and what what uh, we, there wasn't a lot of grids out there, and um, the, uh, not for Angular specifically. The, of course, you have AG grid and you have other JS based, JS native based grids. Uh, but I wanted to have something that is natively Angular, and I started to explore some of the solutions. So there was one solution, AGX data table, I think that uh, we had issues with it because it mutated the object that you provided by adding properties, and then when we send it over REST, it had some issues for us. And we didn't want to have this uh, unpredictability in our code. And then I started to see that the CDK table. And of course, it has a lot of a lot of uh, uh, things inside, but a lot of the features, the rich features, were missing. As you said, a lot of stuff like copy-paste or drag and drop and virtual scroll and other stuff that were missing. So I said, OK, let's try and do something about it. And one of the things that was missing for us, uh, for me particularly, was the uh, the way that declarative programming, like having to put a lot of things inside the grid, inside uh, the content of the grid, uh, was over, over uh, verbose. Uh, for example, if you had 
if you wanted to describe your columns, you have to do it in a declarative way. A lot of templates have to go, okay, this is column A, this is column B, this is column C, within every grid. If you have 20 pages, for each page, for each grid, you have to put the columns inside. And it also had a, an impact on reusability and refactoring. Uh, so I wanted the solution that says, okay, here's the grid. Let me uh, describe an object that says this is the column, uh, the column list, this is how each column looks. Okay, this is type numeric, this is type currency, this is type uh, flag or country. So I just, and then in one location, I can describe the template for uh, a column of the type country that shows a flag based on the Unicode. So you have the ISO code the ISO code of the country, like USA or US, and from that you can uh, show a PNG of your of a flag. And you just put it in one place and says in a column, okay, it's of type um, uh, country, and it will show the country for you. And I've created a register service that is uh, it works like the dependency injection system, so uh, you have one global Register in your app, and then if you put inside, if you put uh, templates inside it, then you have them available for all the grids within the application. And of course, if you want to overwrite it, just put one inside your end grid within it. And it, because uh, every grid has its own register service, it will use that. And if it doesn't exist, it will search up the tree based on the dependency injection system. So I think the grid is using a lot of Angular's. Uh, I think best sellers, which is directive and the dependency injection that comes within, and uses them uh, to provide uh, an easier way to uh, to use the grid itself. What do you, what do you do for uh, edits? Like, uh, are we would we be building our own form implementation and then providing that to the the grid or does it have something built in to like leverage reactive forms or template driven forms something like that so so uh, the, the the form itself uh, it's, it's, the grid itself has context for every cell because because we don't want to mutate the the object so every every cell has a context and then you can then change the the state of 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 every of every cell by changing the context to say let's say it's editable and once it's editable you have a template for edit you have a template for uh, for view mode read only mode and you have a template for edit and then you can switch between them and that's a challenge for example it's something you, you didn't I didn't think of out of the box I say hey wait let's do an edit uh, I need edit so I created the context and then inside the context I did the the edit. Uh, the edit flag, but then when you use virtual scroll and you scroll down, you have to save it. You have to have the context throughout the entire, if you have like one million cells, you have to have a context for every cell uh, because, and then you have to reload it once you get to that point in, uh, when that cell is in the viewport. So this is like an interesting stuff. You don't think about it before, but then you have to deal with them. You see, okay, I need edit, but it doesn't work nice with virtual mode and I have to support it with the context. Uh, so this was a nice challenge that was solved along the way. But yes, edit is supported, uh, and you, you have to provide again because it's UI agnostic. You have to provide. Uh, you can provide an input. You can provide a material input, whatever you for UI framework that you work with. But you only have to do it once, and that's it. So you're talking about these challenges that you kind of organically ran into and 
built these features into the grid. Is there anything that is coming up or that you're currently like, oh no, I didn't think about this. Or do you think the grid is perfect and in its <laughs> final form? <laughs> no, the grid is not perfect, of course. Um, uh, there are a lot of things to add. One of the things that I would love to add is, uh, there are a couple of things I have in my to-do list, but uh, a, bootstrap, a bootstrap um UI plugin, uh, probably extending uh, material uh, components by, uh, in the common material plugin. And of course, having uh, we have virtual scroll, but it's only for uh, vertical scrolling, for horizontal scrolling, it's still not there. Uh, so we need to add that. Uh, that's because the CDK doesn't support them together. So you either have uh, virtual or horizontal. Oh, I didn't know scroll. that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you, you need to choose. Once you, you implement, you need to switch, and the, the, the selection is uh, it's a, it's a either horizontal or either vertical. You can only choose one value there. So I have to probably come up with uh, two virtual scrolls, one wrapping the other. So this was a bit more complicated. It still is complicated, so I have to probably work on it in the future. Uh, but uh, it wasn't the main concern Vertical scrolling was much more urgent uh, when I started building, so I chose vertical. But a lot of stuff, I mean, and uh, those are the things that I thought of. I'm sure that if people will get interested and start helping, contributing, and come using it, then it will be much more, uh, there will be much more requirements. So speaking of vertical scrolling, um, does that mean you brought in another one of the CDK provided features of virtual scrolling? Yes, yes. The, the virtual scrolling for the CDK is used to provide the virtual scrolling in uh, the, the Ingrid, and of course, it comes with the capabilities of virtual scroll. So, in virtual scroll in CDK, you have you can choose between fixed scrolling or between automatically detected scrolling. So, if you do fixed, you can say, "Hey, 50 pixels per row. This is the height," and you provide it to the uh, scroll uh, uh, to the virtual scroll, and then you have which was called based on 50 pixels rows. But if you don't know that, you can say, hey, let's use the auto uh, strategy, the automatic strategy, and material will do that using its calculation and uh, uh, probably, I don't know, some kind of algorithm that uh, is done under the hood there. And you can add more because uh, it's, it's adaptive, so you can just add more. But that's definitely a big challenge. Uh, we're talking about doing data tables and, and as the data gets larger, right? Keeping it performant, right? Yeah. What other type of, like, did that solve like all the performance issues or did, have you run into other things that, that you had to solve as well? So, yeah, once you have virtual, okay, so once you have virtual scrolling, you have a lot of things get, getting more easily done for you. Uh, but it, it doesn't solve the entire uh, issue. Uh, one of the things that bothered me was, uh, and again, it's not that important, but it, it, once you do the scrolling, uh, it turns out that uh, the browsers, they they want to do it using the GPU. Uh, they want to do GPU rendering, and once you go GPU rendering, you do 60 FPS no matter what. The, the, the browser will render 60 frames per second, when doing the scrolls. So it so it turns out that if you do a fast scroll and you have a lot of walls, you'll see a blank uh, blank uh, space in, 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 the, um, uh, in the grid uh, content. 
And this is happening in a lot of grids. It's not specific to my grid. It happens on AG grid and other stuff, other places. Because again, the problem comes from the uh, from the place that the, the the browser that wants to do GPU rendering. And it's good that it does the GPU rendering because you get a smooth experience, but you don't get the rendering just until you get to the final part uh, of uh, of the scroll. And this is because uh, it, it, it happens like you, you render 50 rows. Let's say you have 50 rows. You render 50 rows. And just before finishing, you have 50 rows next, and then the other 50 rows. And you soon get out to a position where Another of the 50 rows that you render will appear in the next because you have a jump like 50. Then from 200, uh, from 200, then you have you jump you jump a lot out of the uh, more of the viewport. Then you have uh, a buffer. Then you have the buffer uh, for so you get just you get the blank screen uh, within the grid. And for I wanted to tackle that. I wanted to say hey, if someone wants to have everything render and and, and slow the uh, the scrolling a bit, let's let him have it. So I calculate the FPS, and you can put a you can put a threshold and say, hey, until 20 FPS, that's fine experience for me. Let it scroll. If it goes below that, let the GPU go wild, and and it works. Uh, actually, it works. Of course, not for mobile because it doesn't make sense for mobile, but for for desktop, it works and it works nicely because it it still looks good. And that's the final. Uh, yeah, thing. I was playing with your virtual scrolling right now on your your demos. Yes. I can't. I can't get a blank screen. So. <laughs> yeah, probably because yeah, probably because you're using a small uh, a small size. Like if you go to the homepage and you have like in the viewport, you have like seven rows showing. So it's very it's rendering very fast. So it's very hard to do that. But if go to the selected demo and go to the virtual scroll performance, and if you have a large screen and you have a lot of Rows rendered, you'll see that. Uh, That's when it happens. Okay. Yeah, and you can then you can you can click on uh, and you can see the scroll FPS uh, and see that uh, you have it. Um, uh, you have the scroll showing, and then on the top, you can see that you have three modes. You have a passive mode, a blocking mode, and a threshold mode. And a passive mode says, okay, let the GPU go wild. If you do fast scrolling, then uh, you will see blank screen. And if you go to a blocking mode. You will never get the black screen, you because but you'll have sw slower scrolling if if you manage to get there. I can share the screen and, and show it if you want. Uh, just if that's okay. Yeah, I because I I still can't get it to. It's being flawless. Your demo is okay. flawless for me. No, no, you just <laughs> probably have a, a killer a killer Mac or a killer PC. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, let me let me share and I show you what I mean. Um, of course, you won't see a smooth scrolling because it's uh, it's a video. But uh, let me know when you see my screen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Okay. So this this is a, this is a passive mode. So if I do fast scrolling, you can see the black the blank screen. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You have to be very fast. Now I don't have my mouse here, but if you have a wheel, you will definitely see it. If you have a wheel that goes crazy, I have a Logitech mouse, and you can. Let it roll, roll like crazy, and then you, you will see it. But this is with the touchpad, and you see, just about the end, it starts uh, showing. Now I can do a blocking mode. And in a blocking mode, it doesn't let it go. You see, because and by the way, you can see the FPS. I'm on 26, 25, and it's okay. And here is a threshold. So sorry. So in a threshold mode, uh, I can choose the value that I want to have a threshold for. So 30, 31 
Yeah, it will probably start, you see now it's flickering because I'm below 30, I'm on 28. Oh, I got it. But um, let's say I want to have it like on eight. So now it will not do the, the stuff. Let's say I want to do on the middle, I want to do like um, 25, okay, 24. Okay, let's hope I will get to 24, uh, 29, or if I'm good, go down, go down, go down. Yeah, you see, I got it. <laughs> So wait, so, what is blocking again? Sorry. So blocking, blocking says don't let the GPU win. Every oh. time, con so I get I get control over the mouse events, and then I just don't I just stop mouse events from going forward uh, until the rendering is is done. In, in this case, in passive mode, when you see a blank screen, uh, the rendering of the of the rows is not done, and and then there is a request for the next render. And so it gets canceled, and then you see a blank, nothing rendered. Basically, what happens is that, like, take for example this row, okay? The uh, row uh, uh, 7658. So when it gets rendered, it gets rendered on the top, like, uh, let's say, uh, like here, uh, in this place, when I marked it. And it's out of the viewport of the, once it gets rendered, it's out of the viewport of the, uh, of the of, of the grid because remember it's virtual scrolling so it's being positioned at the top where I highlighted the and my mask my mask is currently is so you just don't see it and this is why you see blank screen and I just prevent that I say okay don't go to the next scroll event until uh, until I render it and then what happens is that you get a smooth experience uh, with a lower frame rate of course it's 20 25 it depends on your PC. And if uh, because and because you don't want it to be uh, uh, dependent on the on people's computers and their power because you don't know a lot of people have different computers you can put a threshold and say okay 50 20 it's a good enough experience for me above that go and let the GPU oh okay That's wild. It's it's crazy because right building data grids is like Mike mentioned earlier. You know, oh, I've got a couple months or whatever. Let me just do this. There's so many things that are involved, right? And it's fascinating when you get into stuff like this where you're you're really going beyond just you know content rendering. You're thinking about the GPU performance, frames per second. It's like this whole other application, right? At that point, uh, but it's yeah. things that need to be solved because they're all that part of that user experience, right? That um, that come into play with, with rendering all this information. Exactly, but I have to say that it helps when you have the CDK because, uh, you know, Einstein was go going over to reach the achievement based on Newton's work. So for me, I was able to build this grid based on the CDK. Otherwise, I have to tackle with other more complex stuff in the deep. So, you know, it helps to have those foundations and knowing that they, they, they are getting taken care of when they have issues and then I can use their uh, work to uh, extend it and provide a more rich feature product. Yeah, it's definitely like a layered effect and that, I mean, because everything that you've implemented, if somebody wants to build a data table based off of the CDK, all the things you've done, or at least a lot of them depend upon what feature set somebody would need, somebody has to spend the time and actually implement all of those things versus saying, all right, I know I want to do something that's not material because they have their own uh, data table there, uh, whether or not that satisfies their needs stylistically or functionality-wise. 
and then I go back to the CDK and yeah, it's a it's an incredible base and it really helps, but it's not drop in and uh, start using right away. There's stuff that you need to do in order to get that to work and to get it working properly, um, as well as adding other functionality. So then people like users and developers need to decide, hey, is that work that I want to take on myself or do I want to stand on the shoulder of giants <laughs> to say, hey, Salami has created this amazing end grid. Let's go ahead and use that. And I've got all the functionality that I need. And therefore, I can get back to adding features for my users. Exactly. I like that layer. <clears throat> the community says thank you. Not that I speak for everybody in the community, but a portion of the community, whether or not that's 1% or 99%, I'm not saying. But <laughs> thank you. Well, and then like this thank performance thing, right, is another thing. Like you may find another grid that's out there that doesn't do this part, right? So then even if you're using some other grid, you may still have to implement things like this to solve these scenarios, right? So yeah, yeah it's even more exciting to have that already part of it. By the way, uh, just... Uh, if I, if I take the moment to, uh, one of the things, for example, that I've tackled is with the CDK, and that may be something that can pass on to the material or the CDK team, is that a lot of things in the CDK are, uh, the modifiers are private. Uh, and, 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 and that's good, I mean, especially in material, when you have components, that's good to have them private because you want to define the way the usage is in a very specific way because this is, uh, meant to be working in a central way, but in the CDK, uh, it's a bit different because those are building blocks. Those are not final components, and I had a lot of issues tweaking them, and I think that in two instances, I just had no choice but actually accessing private uh, fields that I know that are not going to be changed, but they are there, they are private, and I think that maybe they will have to be like protected or something. So people that inherit uh, though uh, those components can, uh, you know, take the behavior and change it a bit. Especially, I think it was in the CDK virtual scroll and in the CDK drag and drop, because you want to have, to, you want to allow certain behaviors. For example, if I drag uh, a header, uh, it's it might be completely outside the scope of uh, the area that I want to drag it to. Maybe they are not in the same hierarchy DOM-wise. And then I have to take into a different place. And then you can, in, with the CDK, drag and drop, you cannot reach those places. Yeah, there are a lot of instances that you have some issues. So I have to solve them. Uh, some of, most of the time, it was, I was able to do it in some funky ways that are legit. But some uh, two instances, were, I, would, I had to use private modifiers, which is very painful for me, uh, even though they will never change those property values, but the names, but again, I think that in some cases, the CDK needs to be with protected modifiers because they are meant to be used as building blocks. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I wonder, are, are those things that you're going to look at in terms of trying to talk to the team and figure out if, if those could get changed or if those are something that maybe somebody could submit PRs for? Um, I did. Uh, I did try to put uh, to open some issues. I do have a lot of issues in the material uh, repository. Uh, I think that they are focused mainly, especially with uh, Ivy coming. I think they are focused more on uh, transforming material to uh, to, to Ivy and 
working with the native JavaScript uh, components. So there are a lot of works being done there. So I don't think, I mean, those are more, more design discussions that I don't have access to and I don't have, I don't participate in. But I did mention it sometimes, you know, um, it's how to explain it. Like now we have a video and I can show you the examples, but sometimes it's how to express yourself over, uh, I mean, for me, Personally, sometimes it's very hard to express or to be getting heard in, through the issues. So that, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that's okay, I guess. Maybe you could always just say, remember that uh, NG component template thing? Kind of help <laughs> that. Maybe that could help me. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah, so, I, think, I think it's long forgotten, you know, it's ages ago. A lot of things, a lot of water under the bridge sometimes. <laughs> you already used up all those credits, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So um, one of the things I think that's really neat about the fact that, like, you know, this is all open source. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Is like when we talked about it earlier with the, with the implementation of this plugin system, right? There's so many things that we can learn by even viewing how you've implemented it or how this, this product has been implemented, right? That it's not just about the, the grid, but there's patterns and things that we can come in and, and view the source because it's open source and see how you did these things and, and say, hey, maybe we could apply that same thing to this thing I'm building over here, which is not a data grid, but it's it's a pattern that, that wow, you solved how to do that. And that's very elegant, you know, and that, that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I, I will, much I will enjoy helping people if they have questions. I've done it in the issues and over uh, Jitter. If someone wants to have a, ask a question on about implementation, I will be more than happy to help and assist. Uh, it can lead to contribution, and even if it doesn't, uh, I love talking about these things and I have, love having discussions. So uh, uh, that will be great. I also want to mention that this the grid itself, the, there is a documentation site, and that site is. Um, uh, is also built within the repository. It uses the same approach for the Angular documentation site, Angular.io, but Angular uses the Jenny or the GAN, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think the Jenny. Uh, and I'm using the same approach, but with Web Webpack. So you have like um, a markdown files, and you have um, uh, some special markdown on that, uh, on that markdown file that you can use to inject components. Wow, you got build. fancy with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because it's very easy with web webpack. You see, you just have to build the transformer and then some TypeScript modification, and it just works. Uh, and it it has a, like the same uh, search engine that you can uh, uh, that goes with JavaScript file that you load uh, through Lunar. Uh, it's it's very nice. The implementation is very nice. Though. So if you do a search and it goes to the uh, to a dictionary that is built offline, you have a JS file every. Every page, every page is loaded asynchronously. Uh, every example is loaded asynchronously. Every example has a source code. Uh, I can I can share my screen. You can share my screen again, and I can show it. Uh, so, for example, when you search here, um, then it's like Angular's uh, uh, search in AngularIO, but uh, built with Webpack and not the Jenny. And you have, and it's, it's of course asynchronous, and it runs on a service worker. Uh, and the same here, for example, every example is is um, uh, is asynchronous. The component is loaded asynchronously, and then uh, being injected dynamically into the markdown file. This is a markdown file uh, that is being, con uh, being uh, converted into HTML. 
same thing here. And just when you click on it, you have all the source code available uh, to view no CSS, but you have HTML and you have TypeScript here and you can copy it. It's very similar in the approach and uh, it turns out to work very nice. I like the way that Angular IO built it. I just didn't understand the journey much and the documentation was not that good, but uh, I, I say, hey, I know Webpack and let's do it with Webpack, it's very easy. <laughs> Even even the documentation has examples of stuff that we could you know leverage and do you know utilizing Markdown with dynamic component stuff and yeah that's awesome awesome I want to uh, I want to find out more about other people contributing to this right but but before that I want to find out a little more you mentioned some templating uh, I think you mentioned some CSS stuff and the ability to uh, do some styling stuff with the grid yeah again if if you can show the screen I will show. So first of all, you have, as I said before, you have the extending end grid example. So here you can see how to extend, how to use the extensibility model with an example step by step, which of course also has a source code and you can go into the GitHub and see the source code, but then this is how you do copy paste uh, within the grid. And for um, uh, theming, we have a, a special section here uh, that uh, explains exactly how you do theming uh, it's very similar to the uh, to how material does theming. Uh, so you can import uh, directly CSS file, a CSS file directly, which is pre-built. You have like a dark theme and, and a light theme. And uh, you can have, and if you use material, you can use the material theme, which is here. Then you have like the, the same uh, material themes that exist today. Then you can, I've built uh, for them uh, matching um, material themes for, uh, for the grid. But you can also go and do it like manually. Here you can you can actually define and and and, and change every aspect of the grid, uh, like the row height, the color of the border, or stuff like that. Similar to how it's done in Material, I I like the way it's done there with the palette and and, and, and since palettes are a way to define also in Bootstrap, it's very it makes sense. Um, oh, and I forgot to say that of course examples in. Uh, uh, stack blitz that you can use, and there is a starter uh, project on GitHub that you can use and see those examples. Nice. And so then, if you wanted to, uh, if I wanted to build my own custom theme and, and colors and stuff like that, but I'm not using Material, I would still be able to do that. Yeah. So you have to go and use the way that Material does that with the palette. Uh, 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 but other than that. Uh, you're not bound to material at all. So you just need to give me a palette and then yeah, there, are, there is an object with a certain properties in SAS that say, okay, this is the border color, this is the, uh, the width and stuff like that. And just change them or override them uh, and, and, and it will work. One of the main things in the library in the grid itself is that every time I provide a feature, I do my best, I think I've done it and. 100% till now, but maybe I missed something, but I do my best to provide default values. So people won't have to, I, I found over the years that if you give, a, I, I like to give options, but if you give options and it helps usability. So I, I give default options and you can take it from there if you want to change things. Nice. Now what about uh, data? Uh, I guess one more thing, getting data in there, right? Uh, is there like a nice that? And is it, does it yes. do stuff like observables and things like that? Yeah, so it does observables, it does promises, and it does native arrays. Uh, okay, so 
getting data in is very complicated, and I'll explain why. Uh, because uh, the way that you control the, the grid, uh, there are two ways. You can say, okay, I, every, all, of, all of the data is pre-handed, pre provided in, in advance to the grid. I have one million rows, here, take the one million rows. But sometimes you say, hey, I have pagination, I have sorting, I have filters, and I have to go to the server. So how do you provide an API that supports both approaches in a simple way? So I, again, I share my screen, and there is a whole there is a whole uh, section about the data source of the of the library, and the data source says this is a data source, okay? So you say create a data source. There is a data source, and there is a data source adapter. So you say, hey, create a data source. This is the type, of course, of a person, and on trigger, just provide me a function that returns uh, either an array, either an observable, or a promise of some of one of the, all of the three. And, uh, and you can, as you can see, as it's big, you can, you can also put it inside the class. And because it's an error function, you can have access to the class, uh, to properties of the class, to parameters of the class, or in, more specifically in the component. So if you're in your page component, you can easily access all of the stuff. So, this trigger function can also control uh, a, a get events on a, a, a what is the what is the trigger source. If it comes from a sorting, if someone clicks the sort, if it comes from a filter, someone did a filter uh, operation, and if someone click on the pagination, change the pagination. So uh, once those events get triggered in, you can get them inside the, uh, this uh, event object here and analyze them. Uh, and based on that, uh, create your action. So in the default behavior, there is no sorting filter in pagination. It is all handled by the uh, table itself uh, because it, it assumes client-side uh, pagination, client-side rendering, uh, the filtering and sorting. But if you opt in to get server-side approach, then you have control over this and you will get those events. Uh, so this is how it works. You can, you can say, okay, set custom trigger, and now from this moment on, pagination and sorting will be will be triggered uh, for you. Uh, it doesn't mean that you cannot control sorting or filtering, uh, but those are coming coming from other APIs, uh, and the filtering and sorting operation uh, on the data source itself is performed by the by the grid by the grid itself. You just say how to filter or how to sort, and the grid will take those. Uh, logic capsules that you provide and we'll run them on the on the collection that you provided. But a, with server-side pagination, you replace the entire collection. You replace the entire, uh, if, uh, if, if you have pagination, so you get, you, you only have 10, pagination of 10 items. You only have 10 items uh, in the data source at every point in time. Uh, but if it's a client-side, you always have all of them, but you only show a portion each time. So this might be confusing, you know, uh, virtual, uh, virtual scrolling with uh, sorting, with filtering, it might get confusing, but uh, at the end, uh, it's just to make it easier to control, it abstracts away all the complexity, basically. It says, okay, on the basic point, it works like that. If you want to have more control, you can opt in and there you have it. Uh, and, and of course, there are other things like keep alive uh, if you want to keep the data source alive because the data source is getting killed every time the grid is killed. So if you want to keep alive, you have to say it. And again, it comes from the point that people forget to destroy uh, their objects. So 
Angular took that approach with uh, observables and destroying everything automatically with input-output uh, decorator. So here, again, um, uh, once you have uh, 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 the grid uh, uh, bound to a data source, once the grid is destroyed, the data source is destroyed unless you specifically uh, say otherwise. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah clear in terms of the API. There's only so many. Well, I'm sure there's probably are always something, right? But you kind of get to a point where like, hey, this is the Surface API that I can provide, and at some point, you still have to construct everything together, right? Yeah. Uh, you're doing it like you said. Here's a data set to begin with. Here's a, a subscription or whatnot, right? Um, so it seems like the, yeah, the, the API that you have here provides that power to do that with, like you said, abstracting away the the common like the events or the things that trigger it, right? And now you're yeah. just, when this happens, do this, do that, right? Yeah, you can always, uh, what you saw, it's just a fluent API for a factory for data sources. You can also go and create your classes or provide, the, the data source uh, is a class and it requires a data source adapter. So you can build your own adapter and do whatever you want. I mean, work with WebSockets, uh, I don't know. Uh, but the, the, uh, what I try to do is to, to provide the most simplest API but you can, and I didn't document the, the other stuff, but they are there if you go into the source code and dig deep, you might find them. All right, so this talk, uh, contributions and, and other people, you know, helping with the library and things like that. What, uh, do you have stuff you're looking for? Do you have stuff on deck that, that people can help with? How to yeah, it says in your, you know, on your GitHub to look in the to-do section, but I couldn't find. Is there, am I missing it? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe I missed some of the, uh, so there's a, I think in GitHub itself, I don't remember, let me see. Um, so in GitHub itself, where is the to-do section? I think maybe I, uh, I think I put it maybe in issues or in projects probably, yeah. So it's in project and there are a lot of stuff to do here, like, as I say, the ng bootstrap stuff and doing it integration testing. I mean, the foundation for it testing is there, but we need to at testing and a uh, better CI CD uh, integration, documentation. Um, uh, I think I, there, are, there are things to, uh, to add, uh, like uh, integrate detail with context, a lot, lot of stuff that you can search there. Um, but mainly, you know, to get into such a product, I think that the first thing to do is probably uh, start with documentation. And if people have ideas and want to implement, uh, features, I will be more than happy to help uh, with uh, guidance or I don't know, whatever people think, because I know it's very difficult to get into a project that you don't know uh, or it's you new to. Um, so I think ideas, contributing with ideas, contributing with documentation, contributing with usage adaptation in the community would be, uh, uh, would be very good right now. I'm sure that there are uh, some people using the library, but it's not enough, of course. And uh, I know there's one big open source project from a company in Germany that uses it, and uh, another one from the Netherlands. Uh, but I, but I think if more people will use it and it will get more traction, then people, more people will jump in to help and start with documentation issues, uh, PRs. Everything is welcome. And if you want to learn, I think it's a great place to learn. I mean, I cannot, I can, I can only testify on myself, but. I think it's a great. <laughs> I think it's a great place to start in learning. Some of the things are more advanced. Some are more simple, and I'm always uh, happy to help. 
Yeah, and in terms of uh, people using it, right? It, uh, we've taken a look at it. It looks pretty feature full, right? I mean, is it ready for people to start using it out there in their products and things like that? And yes, definitely. We are using it in, in production in our company. Uh, I've used it uh, in other projects, but we have it in, in production. There is another company uh, that uh, I found out, by the way, that using it through the used by feature of GitHub. So it's called the uh, Open Slides. They have uh, an agenda and a conference management system uh, that you can manage conference with. Uh, they're based in Germany, and they are also using it uh, in their uh, in their product. So yes, it is used uh, uh, in production, and people can definitely use it. I still didn't put it on 1.0 because I am just waiting for more adoption. Just you know, just I don't know why. There's no actual reason. It can be 1.0, but I was told by friends that it's a psychological thing and I should do it right now, but uh, because then <laughs> we get more more adoption. But uh, right now it's on RC9 and it's stable for for a lot of time, and I don't get much issues uh, actually. And uh, we use it in our company, and there's this other company that uses it, and they also are in production. So I guess it's uh, it's pretty solid. Uh, but uh, if more people use it and there are issues, I'm here to help and solve them. And so it has dependency on the CDK and Angular. Are there other dependencies that? Uh, uh, one more dependency that is the resize observable. So you can uh, you can react to resizes uh, in columns. Uh, this is the one that also used in AgGrid, I think. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm not sure they're using it. Maybe it's empty, but it's a very small library. It's a polyfill for resize observable. I think the resize observable exists in the home, but not in other other places. But uh, it's a small polyfill for that, and that's it. CDK and uh, and the resize observable. Very nice, very nice. Um, okay, so uh, extra credit question. <laughs> I don't expect this to be there, but maybe it is. So, uh, but I don't want to put any pressure on you if it isn't. Is there like an ng add schematic so somebody can add it there, or is it just not that not there right now? I have I have internal schematic for the development process, but I don't have an ng add schematic. Uh, I probably should do one. Uh, didn't have the time to, uh, but no, there isn't. But I know that uh, adding one would be very, very helpful uh, for adoption from from people. But uh, yes, you're right. <laughs> well, maybe that's a contribution that somebody can make to the definitely, project, right? definitely. Like yeah. or uh, what have you is an issue. Open an issue. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Very cool. All right, well, we're getting to the top of the hour. Is there any last bits that you want to include on, on NGRID or anything like that? We uh, I think I think we covered most of it. I just want to thank you guys again uh, for the opportunity to speak and to get uh, being here. Uh, very, very, thank, uh, very, very a big thank you and for your contribution as well, not just mine, uh, for you, the community. In this time, not 1%, 99% thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I want to express my thanks again. And uh, Shai was in the uh, the audience saying dash to you. So, <laughs> <laughs> and thanks Shai, which is a great help. And uh, uh, you know, if, if talking about community and contribution to community, this is the guy. I just approached him, and he connected with me and Justin. And I think this is the way things should work, and this is how uh, how the community should work. So, thank you, Shai, for your contribution to Indy. <laughs>
and to community and Anglo community in general. Absolutely, absolutely, for sure. Well, we certainly appreciate you providing your time, not only to come on and, and share this stuff, but also obviously the, the library as well, right? And all that stuff. But um, really appreciative that that you were able to provide that time. There are other libraries, but uh, we won't go into them right now, uh, like due to lack of time. <laughs> you have, as you say, you have other ones. Yeah, I have a very nice forms library, but it's a discussion for probably a different time. <laughs> Perfect. We'll, we'll just schedule another episode and, and you can come Forms, on. you say? Tell us yeah. more. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's very nice because in, 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 in 30 seconds, I'll say that it's metadata-based. So we have defined classes with uh, annotations, like decorators, and then you, uh, those decorators are used to construct the forms. And you just define templates, like you have a cell template, you can define a, a template for, uh, let's say, um, a, a numeric form field or for a selection form. You just define those templates and the library will render them for you. And will, and then you have some events, like for if you have a selection box that if you choose something, it changes the different selection box. If you have asynchronous events to get data from the server, all of this, you have events to control them. We are working with in production. Uh, I have this for, for three or four years right now. It's working great, actually. Uh, and it's out there again, but I didn't have much time to also to make that public. Uh, but it, it's a very nice library, actually. Okay, well, we'll provide the platform again for you. If you'd like to talk about that, you're more than welcome to join us and, and we can play an episode on that if you'd like. Great. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Let's do some quick picks. Uh, if anybody has any picks, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, let's check our panelists first. Mike, I heard a rumor that somebody was going live tonight. Is that true? Is this true? Some, uh, maybe two people. Two <laughs> some, some bodies. <laughs> yeah, you guys are my pick. I'm so excited about. Um, can you tell? Like, is it a secret what what you're talking about tonight? Or uh, uh, cover. Uh, you're muted. I'll cover. Uh, Justin had found a tweet that somebody in the view community had view. Correct, Justin. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, had created a really, really cool credit card entry uh, form control with animation. It shows a credit card uh, image up above. And as you type that, there's animations that actually shows the credit card number as part of the credit card, the name and everything. It's really cool. Uh, so we're going to attempt to recreate that in Angular. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> We, we really, these days, we really look for any excuses that we can to uh, do more animation work. <laughs> so. I am so excited about this. Um, forms and animation? Form, forms and animation, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are the main things we'll be doing. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, right, Mike, what's your pick? Uh, my pick is a new NPM package that was just published last night. Uh, as part of a previous stream that Justin and I did, uh, we created a RxJS utilities uh, repo and now NPM package at NGBS slash RxJS. Uh, it's got a few operators in there that are helpful with working with arrays. So, do, do, do you have a polling operator? Like uh, for polling uh, uh, on, on HTTPs and stuff like that? No, um, but we could. I mean, it's it set up to be able to uh, just, uh, we wanted a way to have a way to distribute some helpful common RxJS operators. The ones we've done so far are surrounding arrays. So the idea of instead of having to call map on your observable 
and then call map or filter inside of your um, array inside of that uh, handling function to be able to essentially just pass that predicate function directly into the observable, the operator, and have that work directly on the array that's flowing through the- Nice. Nice, so have map and array together. That's great. That's yeah, we have, what do we have? We have map array mm -hmm. map, map array filter, map array sort. No, wait, sort is a PR I was working on earlier. But we have reduce. Map array. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Beautiful. I'm putting this in the uh, the chat on the tubes. <laughs> Right. That's a that's a lot of plugs about us. I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> do you have anything that you want to pick or plug or mention? It could be tech related. Uh, or... uh, not not nothing in particular. I guess uh, if Shia was mentioned, I just uh, uh, saw some of his testing free testing courses. I do recommend in Shia's I.O. He has a great approach for um, for I don't, for for showing or for uh, teaching people. I think it's amazing, and I think it has a lot of prospect. So good luck to him. And um, I think that's it. I like that pick. It's a great pick. Shai is a, an amazing teacher um, and very entertaining. And, and yeah, that's great. HiRes.io, yeah. Awesome. All right. Again, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking your time and sharing it with us. Um, Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, that's a wrap. We will see everybody next time. Later. Bye-bye.